0: what up people welcome to the mind body hoops podcast this podcast is going to be about me learning with you guys basically i'm going to bring on some of the people that i think are at the top of their field in terms of what they do and they're going to help us become better hoopers but more importantly they're going to make us better well-rounded humans man like performance is an on the court and off the court thing and I hope that's what you take away from this podcast is that it'll make you a better hooper it'll make you a better athlete it'll make you perform better but it'll also make you a happier person a healthier person whatever the case may be so whether it's improving our mind our body or the our ability to play hoops I hope you guys enjoy this podcast as much as I do cool time when we can plug in some headphones and learn from the best in the world and uh, I hope these podcasts bring you value in becoming a better athlete and becoming a better version of yourself. Thanks for tuning in. Again, this is Max from Mind Body Hoops, and I hope you enjoy. This week, I'm joined by Tyler Ray. Tyler is the founder of Project Peer Athlete. He's a jump specialist. He's a strength coach. He's a former pro dunker, um, and he has an awesome message. And Tyler really helps a lot of athletes improve their athleticism, improve their vertical, which I think you guys will take a lot of value out, out of. I know a lot of people are trying to find ways to jump higher, be more athletic. Um, and Tyler can help with that and Tyler helps you increase your vertical increase your athleticism with technique driven strategies like he does things in a way that not a lot of people are doing them this way and people he's become known for helping people increase their verts by inches within like 15 minutes and it's insane and if you watch this guy's videos you see why he's really a pro at what he does but what I really loved about Tyler and his message about what he does he has a, a well-rounded approach to helping his athletes he really cares about his athletes you can tell the way he shares this message and the way he shares how he he interacts with his clients and athletes that he really does care he's trying to help people have a little more perspective driven approach to working hard which I I really appreciated his values, definitely coincide with the values I try to bring to this podcast. And we had a really good talk. So, I think there's a lot to take away from In terms of things we can apply right now And then there's a lot of good things in terms of ethos And mindset shifts we can apply today too So this conversation is wide ranging All within the umbrella of How can we increase our vertical How can we increase our athleticism And how can we become more in tune And well rounded athletes On this fucking journey So I hope you guys enjoyed this Awesome conversation I had with Tyler Ray Alright Tyler we are recording project pure athlete former pro dunker jump specialist strength coach tyler um this will be fun man it's really hard to uh talk about jumping higher over audio like i said before but i'm excited to see how we do
1: yeah i think it's uh, it's my job to to hopefully accomplish that so i i'm up to the challenge as always and i look forward to uh to getting into it with you thanks for having me on
0: yeah sweet so uh for people like me or you know people have not heard of you before what do you do
1: yeah. So, uh, as you mentioned in your awesome intro there, uh, my name is Tyler Ray and I do run a uh, project pure athlete Inc. Uh, it's kind of a combination between, um, strength conditioning training for the longest time. And then it kind of converted over the last, uh, five to seven years into my, su- uh, subspecialty, which is uh, uh, vertical jump training and specifically vertical jump technique. Um, I worked for a lot, the longest time as, um, uh, obviously, as an athletic performance coach and sourcing a little bit of my background in track and field at a pretty high level, and then obviously pro dunking for a while, I just I, I found a space that needed to be addressed and made it my job to make a job out of teaching people jump technique and, and more so popularizing uh, two-foot mechanics and and really the, the different phases of what that's composed of, and then more so how to optimize those different transitions to, to get jumping higher quicker. And that's kind of what I've become a little bit better known for, which is being able to put in on people's jumps within five and ten minutes, uh, just simply by addressing these these positions and showing them how uh, powerful they can actually be.
0: And is that something that like a lot of people aren't doing in terms of technique? Because a lot of people talk about the strength side, the plyometric side, but the actual technique side of things—is that something that's kind of unique to you, or like a hole that you saw in this space that you tried to fill?
1: Yeah, it, it definitely, uh, definitely a hole in in the performance side of things as it relates more so to like basketball, volleyball, um, dunking, you know, it's jump techniques big in the world of track and field. And I was exposed to it for, for quite a long time, but it didn't seem as though anybody really had addressed the the overlap between the two. And and because jumping in sports such as volleyball, basketball um, has been only really looked at through one lens for so, for so long, which is let's make an athlete stronger, more powerful, a little bit lighter, right? Fat doesn't fly. And then from there, it's, it's yeah, you'll jump higher. And, and my answer to that is you absolutely will jump higher until you don't anymore. And then it's really a matter of addressing, you know, where that ceiling of potential is for you. Where does that lie? And do I have the ability to, put you in a more advantageous position in order to be able to express your vertical at an even higher level. Um, So I work with athletes of all different makes and models and and different, um, you know, experience levels from brand new beginners all the way up into a lot of uh, Team Canada volleyball, um, some professional uh, overseas basketball and volleyball players, and really just getting my feet wet, I I think, in in terms of my career. So I'm excited to continue to spread this message. And and obviously, platforms like this make it a lot easier.
0: How is that Um, applying kind of what you know to various different sports, is it kind of a, a, a similar message? I could imagine it being difficult to like teach what you teach with volleyball and then try to apply that to basketball and then vice versa. Is it, are there common themes that kind of fit all sports or is it kind of a case by case basis where you have to help treat your athletes, you know, one by one?
1: Um, There's an absolute crossover between all applications of of two-foot jumping you know The one thing is that you know jump technique really never will vary by need only by kind and what that means is It really only is the application of the jump that changes not necessarily what comprises the jump itself So my job is then to take these principles that I've been working on for for quite a few years and And teach them to in a way that is understandable because you know I can sit here and and rattle off a whole bunch of really complicated terms and and more so probably cross a lot of your listeners eyes uh, whereas my job is really just to teach you how to jump higher. So it's putting it in, in terms that are understandable. And I spend a lot of time you know, uploading and putting up content that takes jumps, breaks them down into manageable bites so that people understand not only like what the positions are, but more so what the execution of a, these proper strides look like. And a lot of it is intent-based. So I teach a little bit, obviously, about the, the science behind the mechanics, but more so how do I actually change my mechanics without you know, having to... To dive into the shadows for a year and and kind of remake and remodel my whole jump, so there's a ton of crossover and you know volleyball specifically is, is a jump oriented sport. Um, so I do a lot of work in the volleyball space. I do a lot of work with basketball athletes. The difference with basketball and volleyball is that the variety of, of jumps will change in basketball simply based on the need, right? Which is the game application. You're going to need to cover at times horizontal distance as you jump at times. You're going to need to jump as high as possible and the positions you're going to be in will change depending on, on obviously what the outcome of the jump looks like for you.
0: Mm. And so you talk a lot about technique and two foot technique, given that it's kind of difficult to express over audio, what are some of these techniques look like? You say you put a lot of content out, but maybe if we could start diving into some of those, like, what does that kind of look like?
1: Yeah, I'm going to, I'll, I'll kind of paint a bit of a picture here and and kind of go go through how I would, how I would teach this to say a new athlete or a new coach. Perfect. Um, In terms of how you apply jump technique, um, I do what's called, we, we Tarantino it, which is basically, if you're familiar with the movie Kill Bill, is they show the end of the movie first and then they kind of rewind and then they show you how you end up there. So for me, that's, the the last part of a jump is the landing, right? Jump doesn't finish until you've come down from from you know interplanetary space and you land back on the floor, and that's kind of uh, where we start with things. So addressing landing mechanics is obviously the most important thing out of the gate for uh, longevity, resiliency in the sport, and um, you know that's applied in a, a variety of different levels. But what I would look at first and foremost is on a strength and conditioning level, like where's the stability of this athlete at from a strength uh, position? Do we need to address some of these? you know, more so broad spectrum um, um, issues out of the gate? Or can we dive into some of the more intricacies of the jump technique? So work a little bit on landing, then we're going to kind of backpedal a little bit through these different phases. But the, the easiest way to explain this is jumping really comes down to especially a two foot jump is learning how to optimize acceleration. So I think what we run into the mass majority of athletes is they think, okay, as long as I'm really strong and powerful, I can impart a ton of energy into the floor and I'm going to jump higher. But we have this wonderful vessel called speed that if we learn how to, what we call amortize or, or store and then release this energy in, in sufficient ways, we can then gain more potential energy out of the equation. So through the, the crucial final three contacts of a jump, We have two strides. So we have a stride that's called our penultimate stride. And if you watch someone jump off two feet, that's the one that looks like they're covering the most amount of distance. It's like a big, long pushing stride. And that's the cue that we work with when it comes to the penultimate stride, which is this concept of pushing to cover horizontal distance. And the penultimate stride is responsible for two things. One, is gonna be lowering the hips slightly for takeoff so that we can source a little bit of the power that we've created through all of our wonderful gym and strength conditioning. And two is continuing the acceleration of the approach strides into your plant. I teach what's called accelerating or or accelerating through the jump, not to the point of a jump. And basically what that means is, you see a lot of athletes, they'll run really fast and then you'll get these like little little choppy steps and then they'll kind of hop into their takeoff and then jump. I look at an athlete like that and I go, okay, first off, we didn't need all those approach strides because effectively you jumped from a standstill position. Mm. and typically typically those are the athletes that present with a very little difference between a standing jump and a full approach jump so that allows me that's kind of the initial analysis is I take a look at a standing jump I take a look at a full approach I say okay use as much speed as you want and let's see the 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 difference between those numbers let's see how how well you express speed in this equation and if there is a very um, small difference between the two that tells me one glaring issue is that athlete has no idea how to translate horizontal velocity into, into verticality and in, into jumping off the floor so then we get to work which is learning how to optimize that push which is covering horizontal distance to create speed and then the last cue we give on takeoff I'm, I'm really oversimplifying things here but oh. we, we push into our plant leg which is our dominant takeoff leg so for instance let's say you jump and the last two contacts you make are left foot right foot before you take off the ground that would constitute a left-right plant. So your left foot, which is the first of the two, would be your plant foot. And then the right foot, which is the very last contact before you leave the earth, that is your block step block step means it's basically a braking mechanism. It puts on the brakes. It mm-hmm. helps to kind of stop that horizontal speed. And then the athlete can then lift off the ground. So for me, it's how do I optimize speed through that penultimate stride? And then how do I optimize the efficiency and deliberate nature of that block or that punch of the foot into the ground? So we go obviously through a lot more in depth with, with how that looks and we how we reshape things. But my goal is to create and has been to create the most kind of palatable cues to be used on all different levels, right? Like if I'm going to give you as a coach something to use for your athletes, I can't sit here and, and explain in great te- detail and that you're going to be left with with a bunch of, you know, uh, word salad kind of floating around in your head where we're really looking to do as, do as much work as we can with as little – chance for error when it comes to the communication aspect so yeah it's it's really optimizing speed and then learning how to be deliberate with your strides and your contacts and and you know you see a lot of athletes that are are talented jumpers but there's so much more potential in them that they don't know how to source because they're kind of stuck in this thought behind their jumps always have to look like like swaggy and, and, and lopy and bouncy versus this kind of like, let's get quick. Like, let's turn the volume knob up Hmm. and see what your body is really capable of.
0: And so So, with you saying the velocity plays such a big part, and I could see that in my head, but I also could see someone trying to apply this and just running full speed and then jumping right away. Like, where is the line there? You know, where is too much, is there such thing as too much velocity? I'm thinking, you know, the basketball audience running full court and then out of nowhere just dropping down and you know launching <laughs> <laughs> launching up so is there a line there between too much velocity and and kind of how much is ideal
1: that's a great question then absolutely um we call that our maximum controlled velocity or our mcb which is basically you think about if if we if we make an analogy of like a volume knob on a radio right it's like how loud is loud enough before the speakers don't sound so good anymore right how 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 loud can we how far can we turn that until we can't ride that volume level so that's kind of what we do with the athlete is we is we play around with finding that maximum controlled velocity which a lot of times is from my end saying okay you ready you're going to go as hard and fast you're going to turn this thing up and try to run as hard as you can let's see if you can stabilize this takeoff and we when we find that tipping point of like okay now i'm blowing through takeoff what i mean by blowing through takeoff is kind of what you're referring to which is when you make that those last two those last two contacts that plan and that block and your body can no longer withstand that horizontal velocity you're just going to blow through it horizontally and end up flying into the into the stand so exactly uh, yeah, it's, it's really playing around with finding that tipping point. Once you find it, then you can optimize that MCV by basically having those athletes pattern Um, at that rate of speed and then introducing concepts of overspeed into their training to help their body neurologically pattern and and withstand additional forces so there's a bunch of different drills we use for uh, creating overspeed scenarios and and my youtube channel is littered with them so if anybody's listening wants more context just go check that out Um, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of drills in there for overspeed training and then obviously creating resiliency and stability in the joints to be able to withstand and translate a lot of that power
0: where does one foot jumping come into play with this? I know a lot of it's two foot, but basketball is such a one foot sport. Does kind of the principles we learn with the the two foot jumping translate to say jumping off with a layup one footed or, or whatever it may be. Does, does one foot kind of reap the benefits of two foot training?
1: Um, so I would train an athlete that was pr- like for a basketball player. I have a handful of basketball players that I work with. And what we do is we train all elements of jumping when it comes to technique, right? Yeah. We train broad spectrum jump training when it comes to strength and conditioning mm. and then as the application to technique we then obviously take a look at both one foot and two foot techniques so there is a there is much crossover excuse me between the principles that apply to two foot as one foot one is obviously we have to optimize and be able to carry acceleration through takeoff and then second is identify what type of jumper that athlete is and there's two distinct types of jumpers we have speed oriented jumpers and power oriented jumpers and the the way you can kind of determine is from a a one foot perspective the difference between the two is what happens with their their trail leg or the leg that they drive so you have a plant and in the world of one foot jumping that's called your block which is that last try which is like okay i'm throwing on the brakes and now i'm going to try to jump up yeah but then but then that back leg that swings through or has that knee drive if the leg sweeps uh, low and close to the ground we typically look at that as like a power jumper. That's someone that's going to kind of throw their plant foot a little further in front of their body, lean a little bit further back, and use a lot of that power and energy through that kind of... Uh, um, the position is a little bit more catered toward sourcing power versus a speed jumper would be a little taller on takeoff. You would notice when they planted that their trail leg would more so cycle as a running stride through their hip you see this a lot in in the world of high jump and long jump Mm -hmm. high jump tends to be vastly speed oriented jumpers because the goal is obviously get off the ground as fast as possible as high as possible and carry as much speed as possible Where so and, and same with long jump is just run through that board ground contact times minuscule as fast as possible and get as far as you can into the pit so the principles apply to one foot and two foot it just comes down to We need to put in the reps to make sure that these positions become um we form those uh, neurological engrams so that we have those positions kind of hardwired into our body and that's the work that i do is make someone aware of these positions more so by getting them in the position stabilize these new positions and then practice the shit out of them
0: (laughs) (laughs) and i totally recommend people check out your videos like you said because it's so easy to see that you put it in such a way that it's easy to apply but Talking about these techniques, I can't help but want to say, like, what can we do right now? You know, like, what are some techniques that we could try to aim for that um, we could take away from right now? Like, uh, this sounds great. I understand it on a logical level. How can I start applying, you know, Tyler's techniques right now in terms of either one foot, two foot, you know, figuring out my velocity? What, what can I do right now?
1: I would say start with a couple things. One is going to be introducing um, a very simple drill into your regime uh, that is going to help with reinforcing this this shifting dynamic stability, especially through the ankles, knees, and hips. So I have a drill called uh, single, their single leg hop variations, and the setup to the drill is very important. So this is where, definitely check the video out, but it's basically uh, a succession of tiny hops with the leg that you're uh, not standing on, so the one that's kind of floating above the ground, is actually going to be in front of the foot that you're hopping on as opposed to in behind your body. So what that does is it forces your upper body or torso to be more vertical, and we reinforce this concept of of being stacked, which basically means that we are what's called axially loaded or straight up and down. We have a, a nice, strong, solid line of action from our heel, through to our hip, through to our shoulder. And this is a position I talk a lot more about in jump technique that is very important to get into through those last couple strides of your jump. So that's going to help to pattern and reinforce those new positions. And then another drill called our push-punch drill, which is basically a two-step jump. You're going to stand up. First and foremost is determine your plant sequence. So find out whether you are, if you're a basketball player, you you, you could definitely do both of these. So you can do this right-left and left-right. But from a standing position, you are going to load a leg that you're going to push off of. You're going to cover as much distance as you can. You're going to push horizontally, not an arc. You're going to push forward. And when that plant leg comes in contact with the ground, you're going to bring the leg you pushed off of in front of you. And you're going to punch that foot into the ground for your block. So basically what we're doing here is we're patterning the intent behind the last two strides. And that helps to reinforce those neurological pathways.
0: I like that. I'm playing with that in my head and how I'm going to apply that already. Yeah. And, and then you talked about landing. That was what you started with. Like you said, working backwards, what is a, a good landing and what does a bad landing look like for me? I can, I can feel it when a bad landing, you know, I'm like that, did, <laughs> that didn't feel right. But yeah. how can we start to apply like a, a perfect landing or close to a yeah. perfect landing?
1: So the one thing about landing that's important to understand is, is, it, it, by practicing the landing, what you do is ensure that your body will default more regularly to a point of strength and stability. Mm. You, can't, you can't always prevent your body, especially in a shifting scenario like a basketball game, you you can't prevent the fact that sometimes you're going to get pushed when you're coming down in transition. But what it'll do is it'll make your body a little bit more aware of how to do things like load our hip versus loading the knee. And it's very similar to the, a squat pattern, right? Is we like to load the hips first and then allow our body. To rest through the hinge in the knee versus just diving the knees forward. Now, there is a time and a place for, for knee over toe training to, to reinforce resiliency, but when it comes to absorbing, you know, two, three, four, five times body weight as you, as you, you know, cruise toward the floor, you're going to definitely want to make sure that you use the large movers of your body to absorb that impact, which is going to be into the hip. So as the body makes contact, no matter if you're on one foot or on two feet is we want to allow that hip to release slightly backwards so that we can absorb the mass majority of that impact into the tissues of the glutes, hamstrings, the bigger, larger movers that can disperse that energy a little bit more efficiently than that of maybe the stability joint of the knee.
0: A lot of what you sounds like you're saying, which I like, is that you're kind of training your body and then your brain at the same time to like recognize patterns. So, you know, by training how to land over and over um, in a game, if you do it in a controlled setting, your, your body's almost more inclined to apply those principles. Is that kind of a a lot of what you do behind the scenes is, is training that body even in very small, like you said, control settings so that in a game in a more, you know, chaotic environment that your body without thinking kind of falls into these thing these forms of training that you've instilled beforehand?
1: Yeah, that's a really good observation. I think I spend a mass majority of my time teaching athletes how to slow down. Um, you know, as an athlete, it's a, it's a skill to learn how to crank the intensity meter up full. But I feel that it's even more so a, a, an impressive skill for that that same athlete to be able to turn that volume knob down and and get more perspective on what it takes to be a holistic athlete, which is everything in total. So when it comes to my sessions, is it, it's largely to, you know, We don't spend all of our time going full speed, let's put it that way, right? And and you're very right in the sense that You have to be present in a moment and connected to your movement for your body to be able to recognize that as opposed to just rushing through to try to get your workout over with. So I do spend a great deal of time helping athletes become a little bit more mindful about their movements so that they have those connections a little bit more readily accessible in chaotic moments and dynamic moments where things are just going to happen. So absolutely, you know, the the goal is always to create a more well-rounded athlete. And I think with Project Pure Athlete, the pure in my mind was always you know, physical is super important. The mental is super important. And then understanding how to manage yourself away from the game and away from the sport is also extremely important, which is that mindfulness um, element of of training. So that's the service I think I provide more so now than I did when I first started, which is more of an athletic mentorship, teaching athletes how to how to manage uh, navigating being a very high level competitive athlete on all forms. That's in conjunction with school multiple sports multiple practices mm. uh, the expectations they set for themselves maybe the expectations that parents families and friends are setting for them and and keeping them rooted and keeping them you know aware of the the importance behind perspective as an athlete right we can have expectations but it's important that or sorry we, we can have goals but it's important that we don't set too many expectations because expectations can become uh, very toxic after a while to an athlete
0: and how do you, I love that. And so I'm going to dive a little deeper on that. How do you begin to manage expectations for an athlete? You know, they have, <clears throat> at, especially at a young age and, you know, having these goals and, you know, I'm only 24, so I, still relating to that, but being a little outside of it, having a broader perspective. I remember, you know, at, at 19, 18, whatever, you have all these pressures from external sources of like, you need to reach these goals and then your parents and then your friends, and then the pressure you put on yourself. How do you, how do you used to go about and how do you still go about helping athletes kind of broaden their perspective while still at this young age and try to, you know, become a more well-rounded holistic athlete. Cause I love that. I love the, I love the holistic athlete. I think it's so important. And that's a huge part of what I'm trying to do is make a well-rounded athlete, you know, not just performance, not just skill, not just brain, but putting them all together. So how'd you go about like trying to shed perspective on that?
1: That's no, it's great, and it's very, very reassuring to know that there's other other coaches and professionals out there that really get behind that movement. Which is, you know, it's 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 great to want more and to understand the value of hard work and training hard and never quitting and persistence. But at the same time, understanding that. We can we can dig ourselves into a very deep hole very quick if if we don't step back every now and then and get a little bit of an understanding of where we're headed. And uh, so, kind of the analogy I'll use with my athletes is you know there's two ways to run a race. One is you can you can run it as fast as possible, head down and hope you hit that finish line. You know you might run into a few trees and cars along the way, uh, or you might make it there, but or you, as you run, you peek your head up every now and then, and you cite your finish line and you you probably get there. It's, it's the narrative of the tortoise and the hare, right? It's like, there's a reason why the tortoise won, is that it, 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 it was a little bit more invested and present in the moment versus the hair was just like go as fast as possible at all times. So the way I would start with an athlete is really more so the, the concept, just the, the coaching principles of of buy-in and trust. And, and what you do is you get to know this athlete on a little bit of a different level to the point where they allow themselves to be vulnerable around you and expose the things like the expectations they've set for themselves, because it's one thing to talk generalities and say, you shouldn't have expectations for yourself and blah, blah, blah. And and your parents, they, if they do, it can be toxic, but it's another thing for that athlete to have a realization of exactly what it is that they have in terms of expectations that could be toxic. So I spent a lot of time really trying to, to get an athlete to be able to be comfortable, to lean on me and be vulnerable around me and really kind of bridging that gap between coach and more so like the, the goofy fun uncle that you get to hang out with every now and then that you're more likely to say, man, like I have athletes that will come in here and, 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 you know, say, can I talk to you for a second and say, you know, I just had a, I had a shitty day today and I feel like absolute garbage, you know, and it's a matter of having that conversation and opening that, um, opening that line of communication up because too often that's shut down from their sport coaches or their parents or perhaps their friends that don't really want to talk or listen to them on that, on that, on that level. And being that person for them allows me to over time and with patience and consistency, help them to kind of lay those, lay their goals out so that they're not so much expectations as they are just little milestones on that journey in that greater picture. I hope that makes sense. I know I probably have a chance chance to kind of waver and stuff. It totally
0: does. It sounds like, I mean, just by starting the conversation, you're doing these kids and these athletes so much value just by not just shoving down their throats, grind, 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 and coming from someone like you, like your craft is so, so heavily reliant on the fact that someone puts in the work and the work ethic, like no one's going to jump out of the gym by just, you know, hoping for it. And so there is obviously that hard work aspect of anything. And with me, like I only reached the level of basketball. I played out through hard work, but. Right. looking back having that perspective like you said and being able to focus on just like progress mindful progress being present and knowing that you're progressing without the f- so much fucking pressure to the like right. just go and go and go you know it's so much and with the the grind culture i could see that being huge um and i i tell people you know like it's so awesome that they have you to be able to talk to and if there's so many athletes that don't have someone like that to talk to and i i try to push people to write more you know like open up a journal and, and, and just start writing whatever's going on and writing out the pressures that you feel you have. And by writing them out, it's almost as therapeutic as, you know, having someone like, you know, Tyler Ray to sit down and talk to you like, holy shit, I had a horrible day. Like if you don't have someone like that, having someone, having some channel to put that through helps so much. And I think relieving that pressure off athletes is so awesome. And I'm so glad that you touched on that.
1: Yeah, it's definitely, it's it's super important. And I'll I'll keep this point really short, but it's that, you know, I, as an athlete was a bit bit of a higher anxiety athlete. So I know firsthand what it feels like to try to manage, um, anxiety at a higher level. And even personally, and I'm, I'm very transparent about who I am as a person as well as, you know, I, I deal with a great deal of, of, of social anxieties at times, and I, I do my best to try to manage that. So when it comes to being a coach there's no sense trying to pretend to be something you're not. And I think being vulnerable as myself and allowing people to see that allows them to open up and feel comfortable saying like, I feel those things too. And then even from a physiological side of things, anxiety only breeds an environment that is not explosive. It's not It's not reactive and sensitive. So if we can get athletes to, to understand how to kind of down-regulate in the moment through different breathing drills, through um, you know, perspective anchoring, all these different things, you can get them to perform immediately better. And a lot of times when I get an athlete in it for a, a jump analysis, I'll get them to jump two, three, four inches higher on the spot simply by breathing. And I'll go, listen, your jump looks fine, but do me a favor and take a big deep breath, take five in a row and then jump again. And it's like, I, I grab them by the shoulders and I'm looking them in the eyes and I'm just like, look at me. Everything's good here. You got to stop trying to impress me because I can tell they get frustrated and mm. they're in their own head and they get tangled in this web of like I had the expectation of showing off for the jump guy and now I've met him and I'm not jumping very high. And it's like, man, I don't care. You don't yeah. need to impress, you don't need to impress me. All I want to see is you manage you. And that means take a deep breath. And then I'll <laughs> over and over again I see it. It's, it's it's mind-blowing to see an athlete just you know PR jump in front of me and they're like, holy shit. And it's from something as simple as taking a few breaths, relaxing your shoulders and being present in that moment. So it's, uh, it's such a rewarding, it's a rewarding space to live in. And, and the fact that I was able to create a niche and then, and then, you know, the demand behind it is I feel blessed and, and, and very fortunate every day to be able to do what I do and and teach people.
0: I love that. And I just did a podcast last week with a, um, you know, we talked about Buddhism and and meditation and basketball and, and. And he talked a lot about the similar thing. How you know something that is a mindset and mindfulness practice can also become a physio, a physical um, yeah. phenomenon too. You know, if you're more relaxed, your body actually does relax and perform better, which is awesome it, to hear yeah. you say. And I do like that. You know, you you coming from an ex, an anxious athlete background, I can relate. You know, it seems like the people that are teaching powerful messages and and something that's missing in the athletics world are are healing a form of themselves becoming the person they wish they had at that age which i think is Absolutely. super admirable about you but pivoting Absolutely. a little bit and back to the jumping i know you work with a lot of your athletes and and i'm sure they have you know like you said they get these improvements right away and they're and they're so excited and then they just want to keep it up and they have their training regimen what comes up later on like what are the common themes in terms of hiccups and shortcomings and maybe frustrations that people say like oh my god i'm i can't i'm not jumping as high as i thought or this isn't working for me what are the shortcomings that are almost expected for you and and i'm sure you can say hey this is normal hey this is normal um yeah. is there anything that comes to mind for that
1: absolutely i think the, the one thing that comes to my mind right away is an athlete that doesn't progress their technique alongside their strength gains in parallel so what will happen is i think there's this preconception that i need to get stronger first and then maybe i'll address technique and I, I try to you know educate and, and drive home the importance of, of paralleling these two together as, as we become stronger and as our natural cadences and, and uh, movements start to become more um, concrete and a little bit more efficient if we're not, if we're not bringing that technique up alongside it, then our, we just don't know how to apply it the same way. So it's like that's probably the biggest thing I see on a, on a whole is an athlete that will go, your technique stuff's awesome. I'm so thankful for the analysis you did. They go off on like a six month you know cycle of, of of training, and then they're like, my jump's not as high as it was before. And I'm like, well, how's your technique drill been going? And they're like, well, I, I was gonna wait until I'm stronger to do technique again. And I was like, that's, that's, your probably the biggest glaring issue is, is always leave that as part of your regimen, even if it's on a low volume once a week basis, where you're just working through some of those, those, um, you know, intentful push punch drills, or it's, you know, if it's a torso angle issue for someone, it's like, put that, put that overspeed drill in to your training block that it's, it's not a band aid, right? Like that's the biggest thing to understand is like, I don't want people coming to me for technique to like, you need to fix me. Like, (laughs) and then uh, they feel fixed and then they go on with their, uh, with their, with their life and their training. It's more so here is a structure and a framework for you to run in parallel to your other structure and framework that will complement you as an athlete on a greater, broader scale. Mm. And it's, and I say that it's like jump technique is the fastest way to add inches to your vertical hands down. It 100% is from, from a phys- physiological adaptation standpoint. When it comes to just, you know, uh, when it comes to actually like training in the, in the weight room, that's going to take longer than it is for me to say, listen, let's find out where your current ceiling for potential actually is with your current strength and power. You might not just be able to express your current power at its full level simply by bad shapes you're getting into and bad mm-hmm. positions. That's incredible. So, yeah, cuz yeah. I feel
0: like I should be able to jump higher than I, I do cuz I'm an athletic guy. I'm really fast. I'm quick. My first step is explosive, but my my jump isn't where I want it to be and it never has been. And I mean, that's that could be an excuse in itself, but to hear you say that is it like that makes me want to just, you know, dive deeper into this. Like technique isn't talked about as much as strength and plyometrics. So you're saying, you know, we could the first thing to address is technique because we may be able to jump higher than we think we can right now is what you're saying i
1: I wouldn't even say may i i would i would leverage that you definitely can jump higher than you can right now um and to be perfectly honest with you man after this podcast you go ahead and send me a jump and and on the house brother i'll i'll break down your jump for you and we'll send it over and you can take a look at
0: it. i love that and that'll point people back to this podcast that's that's (laughs) a perfect plug right there i love it
1: there you go there you go
0: so uh, that's awesome um What do you, what do you say about genetics? You know, we'll wrap this up pretty soon, but what do you say about genetics for me? You know, like I said, like I I have worked on my vertical jump and it was something that I I tried to get better at. I definitely didn't dive as deep as I should have while playing competitively, but it was easier for me, you know, a five eleven white guy to say, you know, it's my genetics. I'm just not going to be a guy that jumps out of the gym. I'm sure genetics play into it a little bit. What's like, what's your opinion? I'd love to hear you talk about kind of the role of genetics and how that's either something we should just move past or, or is that something we should actually take into account?
1: I think that on, on a whole, I, I tend to shy away from having the conversation too much in the sense that I believe that becomes a bit of a barrier for people mentally. when yeah. they're Like you're saying, you're like, well, genetically, I'm just not gifted enough to jump high. Yeah. And as a result, you put less effort in, and you have less confidence in the process, right? Because you're like, well, no matter what I do, I'm not going to jump that much higher. Mm. Bottom line is everybody has potential to jump higher than they did the previous day or the previous month, the previous year. And I think it's a matter of leaning into your, to your efforts as opposed to leaning back on the the genetics. Right. But yes, there, there are genetic factors that predispose people to be able to be a little bit more explosive by nature from a technical standpoint. Um, you know there are a handful of people that express very natural technique and I think that's something that they source as as simply being intuitive jumping athletes on a whole yeah. and I've seen actually I just posted a video not too long ago of a, a national champion long jumper doing a two-foot dunk and his, his technique was was spot-on and he jumped like NBA Jam head over the rim um, but it all the different factors I talk about were present in someone that said I've never really worked two-foot technique but he's a one-foot long jump national champion. So he has the principles of jump technique driven into his body from track and field. Mm. I I came from the world of track and field. And I, when I kind of converted over in the world of of dunking, I had a huge base created from this sport that was largely focused around technique. Technique plays a, a massive role and, and can definitely leverage someone's genetics more so than you know going in and pounding yourself in the gym uh, to death over and over again expecting you to jump higher and we see a lot of athletes that go and they lift weights and they're like I, I actually am jumping lower than i was jumping before because well maybe their body on a whole neurologically is not is not a body that thrives necessarily off the getting stronger component maybe you need more athletic athletic movements and athletic type uh, training in your protocol to be able to jump higher so it's a bit of a It's a bit of a balancing game, right? Let's, let's add in some strength and see if this can affect your genetic makeup and let's take some of it out and put some more athletics in there and see what happens. And Mm -hmm. it's really, yeah, I, I think the, the point I'm trying to make is don't lean on it as a crutch to like, you know, pass off, you know, not putting the work in to be able to become better, but at the same time, it's definitely a factor.
0: Um, No, I like, I I like that. I like that. And I think I I said that because I recognize that looking back, it was a crutch for me and I hope people listening to this don't exclude everything you're saying as well you know that could help but you know my genetics aren't there so I like that you hear that i'm gonna switch gears on you one more time selfishly like Shut up. um I'm huge on habits routine so what's your like pre workout routine what's your post workout routine how big of a role does like warm up and stretching play for you because for me jumping um could put a lot of issues on my back you know my whatever it is um and i recognize that my warm up and my my post workout kind of Cool down is so important. So what do you do specifically for for your workouts?
1: Like for my personal workouts or what I bring my athletes through on a whole as as, as jumping athletes?
0: I guess whatever you see fit, maybe whatever um, coincides with the conversation (laughs) more so.
1: Yeah, so I think from a from a personal standpoint, I'm an athlete that uh, I don't require a great deal of warm up to get myself to a, to a state of feeling explosive. Now, that being said, as I'm aging up, I'm I'll be 35 this year, so my and I've, and I've jumped a handful of times for a lot of years. So I think you know, as yeah. a 34 34 year old, I might have you know 65 year old knees and and 70 year old back and all that good stuff. But uh, that being said, from a uh, movement prep standpoint, it really that day how I feel. Warm up always is going to be something that is a person to person routine, meaning that if, if doing some static stretching makes you feel prepared to compete, then I say, go ahead and do a little bit of static stretching. If doing dynamic and ballistic stuff is a little bit more t- tailored toward what gets you in the zone, then do some of that. It's trial and error. Don't prescribe to any one thing before you've given everything a try and see how that is applied to you specifically in a, in a performance setting. I think what we do is, uh, you know, as humans, we're, we crave the information. So we're like, okay, this person's doing this, so I'm going to do that because they're the fastest or the, they jump the highest in the world. Well, bottom line is their body you talk genetics or you talk physiology, you just might not thrive the same way they do. So play around with that. If it helps you out, then cool. Keep some of it. Look for something else. Try that out. If it doesn't do anything for you, maybe it doesn't need to be in your routine. For me, it's going to be a little bit of, of progressive. I use track-based warm-ups. I, I thrive off of that kind of like slow to fast progression. So I'll do a little bit of, you know, slow jog back pedal into some like, you know, tall lateral shuffles and just getting a little bit poppy off those outside feet. Um, Some, some accelerations to get a little bit quicker. I'll do some lateral movement. So I feel stable when it comes to putting my, my feet down in positions that put a lot of stress on the joints. But from a movement prep standpoint, I typically don't do a lot of like, you know, big, long stretching routines prior to, uh, maybe some quick mobilizations. If, if my, my right hip over time has definitely started to get a little bit more sore based on how much impact it's had. So I might have to loosen up my, my internal rotation on my, my plant leg with some like banded distraction or sorry, some banded, uh, mobilization work, which is really made popular by like Kelly Starrett, supple leopard, and a lot of that movement protocol through general fitness. Um, And then with my athletes, it's really, you know, again, learning athlete to athlete what they thrive on and uh, and kind of taking them from slow to fast. If you're going to jump and you want to jump high you got to be neurologically prepared, which means that you, you know, just popping in and trying to jump as high as you can. You're definitely, your ceiling is definitely not where it needs to be. Yeah.
0: And I like that you um, encourage people to be more in touch with their bodies. That's huge for me. Mm -hmm. And that was something I had to learn. Like, like you said, I I was doing static stretching when I was, you know, 16, 17, just because I thought that's what you're supposed to do. I was doing these deep stretches before I played and I never felt a hundred percent. And it wasn't until later that I realized, okay, dynamic stretching and doing some jogging and, you know, some, Mm -hmm. some, low intensity explosive stuff it gets my body in in touch so I love that you encourage people you know feel your body and like test things and try things and see like how you feel after doing them? It's so important. I'm
1: entirely, I'm entirely rooted in that, in that philosophy, man. When people, I get asked probably 30 to 50 times a day, the same text comes or DM comes through my Instagram, which is what's the best exercise to jump higher. And every time I see yeah. it now and like, and you know what, like in all rights, people have the the right to ask that question. I, I cringe a little bit because what that tells me is that we're in, we're in a state as a, as human kind of like that grat- instant gratification, which is like, give me something right now that makes me better. And, So you know, I I tend to say, well, just jump a little bit more, like jump more to jump more, jump higher versus squat or deadlift or this or that. Some coaches will prescribe a lift and say this is the best thing for jumping. I think that's a little bit irresponsible in my professional opinion to say this is the best because bottom line is it it very well might be for a certain subsection of the population but not for other people. So to say it's the best I think is – A little, whether it's clickbaity or just uh, it's it's a little irresponsible to me. So for me, it's I believe in before looking for the next best thing, make sure you tried the last thing you looked for.
0: I like that. Apply what you've learned already and see if if it fucking works. (laughs)
1: Try it, man. I I I trial and error everything I coach. I it's it's you know however anecdotal it is, it's been tried hundreds and thousands of times by myself by my athletes over a course of going on 14 years now. So it just takes time to to find out what works. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you got to be patient.
0: And so you talked a little bit about pre, what's your, what's your post looking like? Are you doing deep stretches after your workouts, especially for basketball, mm-hmm. when there is so much actual jumping and sprinting and, you know, a mix of, of things, is there a lot of injury prevention, you know, benefits from post-stretching? Because for me, at least I've found that my body rec- recover so much better. And I feel so much better if I put in 10 minutes, at least of stretching after a workout. So what's that kind of look like for you and your athletes?
1: Yeah. On on the whole, my athletes seem to thrive a little bit more in the, in the jumping, um, jumping sector on, on actually a little bit more dynamic following, meaning like helping mm. to flush out some of the, the, um, metabolites and things that build up in the muscle as you, as you become explosive. So we use a little bit of a, a combination of, um, some, some gentle passive, uh, movement and stretching and also, um, compression therapy. So I'm, I'm sponsored by uh, rapid reboot, which is like Norma Tech. It's the compression, uh, compression therapy. And my athletes have, um, been thriving off the use of this product. Um, and I, I stand behind it. I don't get behind many things and I'm approached a lot of times to endorse products. Um, and I don't, speak on anything unless i know for a fact it's worked for me so rapid reboot has been a, a huge addition to to my um arsenal here for my athletes and it's nice for them after their workouts to be able to hop into the boots for 10 20 minutes and and just down regulate um, i send them over there half the time i say you don't get your phone just lay there close your eyes i love and that
0: breathe. i love that and it goes and, full circle because like right. work on these holistic athletes and, and make them more well-rounded and aware and slow down get off your your instant gratification machines Exactly. Exactly. I love that. I'm, I'm going to try that. I've never done um, dynamic stretching to kind of flush things out after. And I'm going to, I'll see how my body responds to that.
1: Just like a lot of like, even like leg swing variations. And again, you're going to get a lot of like circulating, you know, healthier blood through the tissue, um, static stretching. If it feels good after I wouldn't eliminate it completely, but I would play around with it, the addition of something a little bit more, um, gentle movement through the joint capsules and see if you can clear out a little bit of the stuff that builds up and causes that, that wonderful, wonderful pain over the next few days. So
0: I love that, and I think we just touched on so much, and there's so much value to take out of this. Is there anything that you want to add that you feel like we've missed that you think is important for for people to hear?
1: No, I think you know what I think we did a really good job of, of uh, you know picking on a few different topics that are extremely important. I think the the message I can pass through to anybody that's listening right now is do not undervalue the the ability to slow down in order to speed up over time. It's And that's the, I think the mantra to Project Pure Athlete is sometimes we must slow down in order to speed up and it's the whole idea behind maintaining perspective as an athlete and, and not getting too far into your own head um, it's it's a power it's a powerful message, man. I mean, enough that I have it tattooed in my body, and I believe in it wholeheartedly. And, and uh, I pass that message on um, with with absolute confidence to anybody I meet.
0: I absolutely love that, and like I did not expect that going into this conversation that we would we'd have one of these conversations. But just makes me all more grateful to have this kind of conversation. I'm sure we could talk for two to three hours about all the absolutely. things that you do. But I definitely recommend people check you out. Um, where can people find you? And and for people looking to improve their you know their athleticism right away what are some of the the key resources that you point people to and where can they find it
1: Yeah, so you you guys, uh, people can follow me obviously through social media on Instagram at Project Pure Athlete. Um, I I have a Twitter that doesn't I don't use very often. So don't don't follow that.
0: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But uh,
1: yeah, um, Instagram at Project Pure Athlete YouTube.com slash Project Pure Athlete has a lot of great long form resources. I upload clips from workshops that I do. Um, I'm mic'd up and this is kind of like, you know, raw stuff where you can see what I do with athletes in real time. Uh, The Instagram is more so like short form analysis. And then and uh, projectpureathlete.com has a list of different uh, programs and services. I do um, jump analysis online where people will send me videos and I can break those down and send those back and give them a lot of, of really great feedback. I actually just received a message back this morning from someone that I did an analysis for, analysis for yesterday that hit their first windmill dunk. And they were like, they were blown away and, and called me a wizard. And I just kind of laughed because it's, it's not the first time someone said it's like magic. And I said, it's not magic, man. It's just position. The power of position is absolutely uh it, it is mind blowing
0: yeah and that's awesome well ryan uh tyler <laughs> ryan my i get call, i get called ryan all the time i in. blended your name Trev- Re- Trevor, tyler, Travis, tyler and, and ray <laughs> I, I blended into ryan i'm sorry uh, uh. tyler i really appreciated this conversation man like you you're such an awesome dude and, and what you're doing is super awesome in terms of the technique and the science but your approach to the sport and the approach to the athletics is so awesome so grateful that people like you are out there putting out that message so my man thank you for shedding some knowledge with my audience and thanks for hopping on the podcast
1: It was my pleasure. Thank you very much.
0: That does it for that episode. Thanks again to Tyler for hopping on the podcast. And thanks for listening, guys. If you like the podcast, be sure to first of all give me some feedback hit me up on Instagram I'm active on there I'll respond to you send me a message let me know what you think your feedback goes a long way and uh, I like to know what you guys like so I can do more of that and if you haven't already be sure to give me a, a rating on the Apple iTunes app five stars of course and that goes a long way keep helping me get new guests with some more ratings and keep helping me get some more credibility in the space it'd be greatly appreciated I'm doing this for free so any feedback any rating you can give me again means a lot so thank you guys for for listening and be sure to look out for new episodes coming up i'm excited for what we got coming and um, let's keep this going all right see you guys next week